and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes referred to as a young Ernest Borgnine. Young Ernest Borgnine. Oh, you scare people. <laughs> I was just thinking of Ernest Borgnine today on uh, Escape from New York. And we are coming to you for one of the last times from a shack out in the woods somewhere. Oh, just it's actually just about two miles from where old Doc Buford does his experimental animal testing. Well, if need... you if if you know that area. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the San Pedro area. <laughs> now we are uh, moving to a new home and a brand new studio with all the luxuries within, which is cool. Since we have no luxuries here. None. None at all. We even when we have to poop. We have to. We can't even poop outside no. in the woods because the animals don't like it. So we gotta hold it in. You ever been gored while pooping? Okay, they didn't know. They didn't need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let, we'll edit that out. Okay. Uh, but we don't know exactly when. It could be when we're moving. It could be next week. It could be next month. Or when the rooster crows at midnight. We just don't know. The exact date, but it will happen. We're not bullshit. Like other things where we bullshit because we do a lot on that show, on this show. Yeah. We're not bullshit about this. We're actually moving, but it's out of our hands. And I can't, we can't explain why it's out of our hands, but it is. But we will be moving, I guess, within four weeks, right? At, at the latest. I'm thinking so. It has to be. It has to be. Because this place will be gone by then. Yeah, they're going to tear down the shack. They're going to tear understand. down the shack. Yeah. Where do they get a new shack? They won't. Uh, where they no new shack, shack for them. Yeah, well, I don't think it'll be missed. So, uh, you know, people of Earth, uh, I just want to say that our band had a really, really good practice the other night, didn't we, Rob? It was a practice kind of thing. We weren't really practicing for anything. We were jamming. I don't like the word because it... it, it, uh, it, it Okay. encapsulates uh, playing meanderously for no apparent reason than just to take up time, a la Grateful Dead. We were practicing, okay? Uh, okay, we were, we were practicing jamming. No, we're not using that word. No, we're using that word. No, we're not using that word. Not even Jam is, is, is a mindless... No, we're not going to get it. You're wasting these people's <laughs> wasting these valuable people's time. time listening to our show with, with, with your incompetent ravings. We're arguing pedantics or semantics <laughs> or something. Uh, so anyways, uh, we had a really good practice the other day, which is surprising enough. But on top of that, Uptown Mike actually played some really good guitar licks. Yeah. Instead of the usual... I'm lost, so I'm going to noodle for the next hour and a half. And, and turn up so loud. I just don't interrupt my jokes. I'm so <laughs> mad. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck, I get so mad when I spend like a half an hour thinking of something really funny. And he fucks it up because he can't wait for the end of the sentence. Can't wait. <sighs> I'm going to start again. So, fuck, no, I'm really not happy. <laughs> I laugh, but I'm really pissed off. Uh, yeah, I'm telling Mike really some really good guitar licks. I said, the usual, I'm lost. So I'm going to noodle for the next hour and a half and hope nobody's, nobody notices how incompetent I am. <laughs> oh, fuck, Rob. It was so funny in its original tenor. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I drain that out of things, don't I? And Carter, a.k.a. Pork Pie Hat, is turning into a, uh, a good drummer. He is, right? You know you can now? talk that don't, don't be stupid. <laughs> now you just get me really pissed off. I know. <laughs> yes. He is. Yes. Uh, now, if I would have made either of those statements two years ago <laughs> about Carter being an excellent drummer and uh, Uptown Mike actually uh, playing good guitar licks, I would have been locked in an asylum and the key would have been tossed into a river. <laughs> I think that's, that's possibly an exaggeration. I think you would have been a big fat liar. Yes. Uh, I guess that's what I was saying. Yeah. In my own way. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't like when my, when my lines are stepped on, Rob. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I don't know if I made that clear. I, I just don't know. You know, if I showed up in rehearsal, we could have avoided all this, but that would have been fine. But you should know when I'm in the middle of a sentence that maybe you can wait till the end of the sentence. You shouldn't, I just get so angry. Yeah, yeah you know, pork pie hat can do that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't pork pie hat, it was Mike. Oh, oh was it Mike? Mike? Both of them get me mad sometimes. <laughs> Uh, so today we are featuring another album by an ex-Beatle released 50 years ago in 1973. And that is George Harrison and the album uh, Living in the Material World, originally called uh, I Like Big Titties. I Like Big Titties. <laughs> but George, George felt it wasn't spiritual enough and uh, changed it at the last minute. He was going, George would like that joke. George was the funniest Beatle, and he would have liked that joke. So don't everybody go, oh, so sacrilegious. You know what? He would have loved that joke. I like big mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if you're not laughing. I love that joke. I thought of that joke the other night, and I laughed when I read it. <laughs> I like big titties. Anyways, speaking of a big tit, Rob, what did you do last week? Last week, I'd say, boy, there was Take your time. Uh, I need some, some water. Working, and there was, after that, uh, some uh, coming over and having a shower, and then eating, and then I'd go to sleep, and then I'd get up, and uh, I get all packed and ready for work there, and get my lunch ready, and then I go back to work, and uh, I don't remember any days in between that uh, interrupted this cycle. Why don't you make something up so people what aren't bored cycle. shitless by what you say? Odds and ends. Odds and ends. <laughs> Lost time is not found again. We have no segment today. It's just odds and ends. So you better like odds and ends or else uh, you'll be disappointed in what follows because there's no segment. I would like odds and ends. That's the new approach we're doing of cutting things down. That's right. We're not going to go too long. We're not going to meander or over explain things. Or just talk and talk just and talk. talk and talk. And needlessly. Needlessly about things that don't need to be talked about endlessly. What a waste of your valuable just time. Just talking away. You could be learning about gardening. Or things about gardening. <laughs> <laughs> you see how we are. Aren't we incorrigible? Uh, <laughs> Give us 15 more minutes. Something good is coming. Now, first off on Odds and Ends... We have to comment, unfortunately, like we do so many times. We've had so many deaths in the music world the last few weeks while we have been working on our Beatles segment that after this theme is finished, we will be uh, paying our respects to a few of them with our always insightful and sometimes acerbic album reviews. 
I had planned, as usual, I've always, always been saying, we're going to have no theme <laughs> starting soon. soon. But then something happens. We're, we're getting to our no theme uh, theme. We're getting to our, you know what we're getting to? No. Our no theme theme. Very soon. It's supposed to be now after we do the memorials to the musicians who have recently uh, passed away. And that brings up a point uh, that I want to say here, Rob, about you. No, me. No, it doesn't. Uh, If you want us to review an album on the show, email us and give us a good reason why. Not a shitty reason, like, my girlfriend likes this album, so can you review it? And I like it so I can get more nookie. No, we're not. I, I, we need a better reason for you to want us to review the album. Give us a good reason or no reason. No reason is just as good as a bad reason. <laughs> uh, no I will reason. take even no reason over yeah, somebody no saying something stupid. Reason. Okay. So, uh, uh, but if you want, we would like to have a little story behind why you want the album reviewed, and we will think about it. I will give it serious thought while I'm in the bathroom. And the email address is soundsfromthe70s at gmail.com. That is soundsfromthe70s at gmail.com. Once again, in case you missed it the first two times because you have mental problems, soundsfromthe70s at gmail.com. And you can also write your questions in, of course, on those emails. It had to be a different email. You can't write a question and say what album you would like reviewed. You can't do both. You'd have to send two separate emails. You understand, Rob? I do. And I have a bunch of comments to make, but I'm pretty sure they would infuriate you. They always do. Yeah. Uh, These ones more so than the rest. Would you like to hear them? No. Good, because I forgot them. Okay. (laughs) Always good to have William B. William here. So... (laughs) Wanted to talk about there's a, uh, I don't know, I, I always forget the word. There's a there's a, a crowd fundraiser, a, I don't know what they call it on the internet. I do know what they call it, but I always forget it. It's that thing where they did the, the internet begging. Internet begging. Yeah. For uh, a documentary on Nikki Hopkins. Ooh. Now, uh, this has actually been getting around quite a bit, so everybody kind of knows about it. Except maybe you people, because I have to point it out. But uh, they actually do have the money. What they wanted the money for was they had the, the, the documentary finished and they wanted the money to license the music. And they have reached that goal with their fundraiser. Uh, so we're really happy about that. We feel kind of a kinship uh, with uh, Nicky Hopkins' film uh, when very few people were talking about, not when we're taking any credit <laughs> at all but when nobody was talking about Nikki Hopkins we did uh, a, we said we did hey, a show uh, centered around his solo album The Tin Man Was Dreamer and my proudest moment ever on this show we got a nice uh, email from the Nikki Hopkins family uh, about doing that show which has always meant the, the most to me out of anything we've done uh so we always, and that was the object of the show was to was to mainly uh, highlight musicians or albums like Judy Sill and and so on and so forth that people may not have heard of but should have. And Nicky Hopkins is beyond a doubt 
uh, he plays on the album we're doing today. He's all over it. He plays the greatest That's lick right. on Give Me Love. It just plays that lick. That, it's already a fantastic song. And he makes the song even 50 times better just by his piano on Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth. He's all over that album. He's on every album uh, done in the 60s and 70s. And he is, beyond a doubt, the greatest piano player session man of all time. He could be the greatest session player ever. And that's saying a lot because there have been some great rock and roll session players. Uh, you know, there's been Glenn Campbell and the whole wrecking crew in Los Angeles. But I think Nicky Hopkins, my God, he played on everything. Yeah, he played yeah. with so many people and improved so much music. And he added stuff like the stuff on She's a Rainbow by the Rolling Stones was him making that up. And he wouldn't just play what was written. They actually would expect him... Uh, or they'd say, could you come up with a part for that? Because we want piano on it. And then he would come up with the most brilliant shit. And he was so, what would you call like, unselfish. He would, wouldn't keep all these licks to himself. He'd say, oh, you need a lick. And I was like, okay. I think he also he came up with them really easy. <laughs> and he came up with them really easy. Like literally And that I judge that just by volume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where he is in the mix. You can tell that, again, I'm going back to that. And we don't want to review the album. But he does that on Give Me Love where... You can tell he, he plays this beautiful part. And you know how beautiful it is by how loud George put it in the mix. And it, it's actually very loud for a part that is really supposed to be subliminal. And that's Nicky. That's Nicky on almost every important session he did. My God, he played with the Beatles. He played with the solo Beatles. He played with the Stones on... Oh, I can't even tell you all the classic songs he played with. Us. Played with the Who, played with the Kinks. He played with all the the those the, the top four uh, English invasion bands, and that's the tip of the iceberg. We can't talk enough about Nicky Hopkins because we love uh, the unheralded musician because they should be heralded, especially after fifty years. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, that we have to talk about them fifty years after, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah. Just like with Judy Sill. We talked about Judy Sill and then all of a sudden everybody's listening to her. Not that we did it. I'm not saying we did it. But we were there. We actually were there before that or as it was just starting. And uh, so we're kind of like proud fathers that we heard the Judy Sill on the radio we that one time. And, and we were so happy like there's Judy Sill on the radio as we're driving home from doing a show. I got to tell you a story. I didn't. I wasn't. I, I keep on forgetting this, Rob. Rob, and no, this is this is, this is a really like I've told this many times before, and I don't know if people believe me, but it's always true. I'm not bullshitting when I say this. I dropped Rob off last week after we did the show to his house, and I as I dropped him off, I was thinking automatically. I was thinking, oh yeah, I got to think about almost as soon as we've done a show, and I've dropped Rob off. I think about next week's show already. So I'm driving, and a couple of songs play on the radio, and I'm thinking of living in a material world. I'm saying, "Oh yeah, okay, okay, I gotta do. I know what I gotta look for that, you know, and the type of things I have to get." Fuck, what comes on the radio? About three songs after I dropped Rob off, and I've never heard it on that station before. I swear to God, was "Give Me Love, Give Me Peace" on it, <laughs> and the freaky things that have happened, either before we've just done a show or after we've done a show. I'm telling you, <laughs> I, 
I've never heard a Bob Marley song on that radio on station, station until we 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 actually reviewed his album that night. And I've had that happen three or four times, and that can't be coincidence. No. <laughs> See, if this has happened uh, four to six weeks after we've done this yes. show, I would take the credit for it. That's what I oh, mean. Oh, you That's dirty I mean. copycats. If that happened, like, even the week after, I would say, well, that's that's just, you know, happenstance. The fact that it happens, like, the same night, that means they have microphones here. <laughs> They're it's listening. scary. It is freaking scary. And, and, I, and I remember I was driving. I was, like, I don't know, 10, not, maybe not even 10 minutes away from Rob's. And I went, again. <laughs> again. It's like the universe is, like, giving us I don't know what signs they're giving us maybe that we're doing the right thing but it is a sign I'm telling you because it happens so often I think perhaps we have powers and we are altering the universe because of the work we do here if I had powers you'd be dead there'd be a monkey here so anyways where's the monkey <laughs> the monkey um, <laughs> I'd like to see the monkey too another one I told you there's a lot of Ozidents today Anyways, when the Nicky Hopkins uh, documentary comes out, I want everybody please to watch it. We will tell you when it's out, where it's out. It probably would be streaming or yeah. something, and we will we will let you know. Um, Remember how I was saying that we couldn't list all the people he's played with? So how do you do documentary and list all the people he's played with? And list the documentary have... with them just listing all the people. <laughs> yeah, they have two documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> the Nicky Hopkins documentary and the people he's played with. Oh, that'd be cool if they did a listing of and John Houseman did it. <laughs> and then the Beatles. Oh, no, that's not good. That's the, that, was, that was Alfred Hitchcock. Um, the Kinks. The Kinks. Oh yeah, McBurg. <laughs> um, the Beatles. The Rolling Stones. And he would just list it for an hour and a half. And that, well, unfortunately, John Houseman is dead, so we can't do that. But we could, we could have like uh, a replacement do it, like me. Yeah, let's do that in our no, minds. We're just talking crazy, but that should be an, that's an idea. It's an idea, anyway. It's a bad idea. It's an idea, anyways. Before you guys turn to the gardening show, one more little bit. A lot, <laughs> we could use a lot of John Houseman. Oh, yeah, we could use a lot of John Houseman. Uh, if everybody had a lot of John Houseman in their lives, the world would be a better place. I think it would, anyways. By the way, Uptown Mike has the John Houseman name, and we kept on telling him that for like two years or three years, and he never understood it. It took him three years to finally say, why do you say that? Who is this John Houseman? And I was like, why did it take you so long? Ah, because he was hoping he'd figure it out uh, through osmosis. I think he was. I think he didn't want to uh, say that he didn't know what it meant. So he kept on saying, I'll figure this out. And he never could. After that three years, it was finally an admission that, uh, okay, uh, nothing's come up. He does have the perfect John Houseman name. Uh, anyways, last one I have recently bought, uh, like within the last week, and just started reading the new multi-volume book on Paul McCartney uh, called The Paul McCartney Legacy, 1969 to 1973. It's a much heralded book, and that's why I bought it. Uh, it's a book about Paul after the Beatles broke up. And the book is about 2,000 pages long. No, it's it's, it's very long. Wow. It, it'll like, if somebody hits you on the head with it, it'd kill you. It'd kill you. <laughs> Don't drop it off a bridge. <laughs> it's around 700 pages long. It's, it seems like 
I'm coming across books nowadays from rock musicians and artists that are six, seven hundred pages long, almost all the time. Well, that's Very if, long books. If they'd written them back in '73, uh, uh, he hadn't lived that long, so he wouldn't have done that much. And it only covers like four years. It only covers night, and this is volume one. So you got a <laughs> seven hundred page book that only covers late 1969 to the end of 1973. And at this rate, there's going to be like 10 volumes <laughs> and about 7 million pages. And they'd better be flattering. <laughs> By the way, I've heard nothing but raves about this book. Uh, and I've read a couple of little blurbs on reviews and there's some very funny things in it about how, well, like how Paul is when he's not, doesn't have to be Beatle Paul or Solo Paul. And... Uh, just that he has a, he's not just a laid back person that you think he is. If you, if you kind of fuck with him, he's going to like, and I mean lawyers and stuff like that, Alan Klein, uh, then he will, he's not afraid to go toe to toe with you. I just say, yeah, I like that. Anyways, I just started reading it, so I can't tell you how the book, I will tell you what it's like when I'm done. But it exists and uh, it should be good. Yeah, and I told I told everybody about the Frank Zappa book. I saw that again last week uh, about every song that he's recorded on every album and every version. And if you're a real Frank Zappa fan, you should pick it up. Uh, it's also uh, thick as a brick. It's like 700 pages long or something. <laughs> but if you're a big Frank Zappa fan, I uh, Frank had a lot of albums in a few in not many years. He has, yeah, he's had. And now that he's dead, they still release one or two albums a year of of his concert recordings and, and studio sessions. So he's up to about 120 albums, I think, which is unbelievable. And they chronicle where each one comes from. And it's difficult uh, because uh, Frank would take a basic track from something and then put a guitar solo in from something else in the middle. He did that all the time, which I, I remember, we should get that into this some other time. Uh, at the time I thought it was ingenious but um, looking back on it, uh, the real, the real energy and the meat of the song is the original song with the original solo. As I've heard from the actual performances that his kids have released since he, well, that's another story. When we do a Frank Zappa album, which we can do at any time now because we have freedom to do any album we want. No rules. Except for now. Except for now. And, and the next And the next and theme. The next as well. theme. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, we want to move on to the album, which is uh, the album we're reviewing today is from Beatle George Harrison, who would hate that I just called him that, but he also has a good sense. He might say, George, I'm just kidding, and he'd say, okay. <laughs> no, I know, I knew him that well. Now you got to call him X. You know what I remember? I remember we practiced with our band the night he, the day he passed. And I remember I was driving there and they said to George Harrison the past. And I have no recollection of the practice at all. I can remember it was that fucking George Harrison died. Uh, I, I, it's funny, but that's, that's, that's one of the yeah. things that I remember. And I was, and I remember it was one of the few times I remember what the fuck am I doing here right now? Like really, <laughs> I should be, but there's no better place to be than with your bandmates practicing uh, when you're going through that because that's 
the guy along with his three bandmates who yeah. made you want to do that in the first place. So I also thought about that. I had a lot of things going on in my head, but I, I thought about that. I said, there's no better place to be than with your band on the night that a guy who inspired literally millions of musicians to pick up a guitar and start a band. Anyways, we're doing his 19, we're reviewing his 1973 album, Living in the Material World. Oh, for Criminy's sake, that was incredible. That was one of the best, uh, was, was that George? <laughs> All right, wait, are you laughing at my singing? Is that what you're doing? I thought you were singing, was that you singing? Forget okay, it. now, well, you, you did that, you did that thing, All right. I did that thing. Yeah. Don't, uh, one of the key elements is never to overdo a comment. But like, what, what if it's funny every time I do it? Bring me some water. <laughs> Edit. Edit. Okay. You guys don't know about that joke, and that's okay. Um, so this album went to number one on the charts. Give me love, give me peace on earth. Went to number one on the charts. This was there's there's a lot of sh <laughs> this album is why I'm fumbling for words here is because just yesterday there was an article in Rolling Stone um, commenting on the what we're doing, the 50th anniversary of this album. So they had an article on it and they said some things that I maybe agree with and maybe don't. Ooh. Yes. Sounds and they First off, how I was going to start this was to say that this was a really big album, which it was at the time. It was, it, like I said, it went to number one. The single, Give Me Love, went to number one. Uh, but over the years, it has, as Rolling Stone says, which I don't agree with that, but first they called it the album that has been reviled by people. And then they said that uh, it has gone from being a uh, debacle to being uh, a masterpiece over the years. And I just I, I I don't remember that. I do remember, and I think this is where it all started. Rolling Stone makes a very good um, comparison, saying that it all started with. Uh, next year with the Dark Horse album. You remember the Dark Horse album by George Harrison, by the way? I do. That one, it, it, it seems familiar. Yeah, well, we reviewed <laughs> it and Rob recently listened to it, uh, I guess. Again. Yes. And um, then he went on the, the misfortunate 19... I'm not going to go th through this inf infinitum on, on, on this, but he did a, 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 a poorly received 1974 tour when he had still laryngitis and as he did for the Dark Horse album. And then the album got horrendous reviews. We reviewed it. It's a pretty good album. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we both liked it. We like both liked ones. it. It has its, it has, of course, it's, uh, it has its weak points because of his voice and some other things. But it wasn't the disaster it was picked out to be. It was actually a pretty good album. And, uh, and for some reason, that whole aspect of his like all of a sudden that dampered in history how people uh, viewed living in the material world and another thing that has given this album up until I think recently 
uh, a bad name was I did bring in that book, if you remember, Rob, called a, a book that I either was given or had bought when I was 12 or 13 years old called The Beatles and Illustrated History, which reviewed every album that the Beatles and the solo Beatles had made up to like 1978. And at the time, and this is why I didn't get into George Harrison right away, was because in this book, these two guys, and I revered this book because it's all the knowledge that I had at the time of the Beatles. There was very few books in 19... Now there's 600 million books about the Beatles. At the time, there was only a couple. I somehow don't feel you're exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm really not. And... So you revered, I revered this book because it was the only one that told you how each album was. And it told me, you know, oh, this is, and they totally, after all things must pass, these guys hated George Harrison's solo stuff from living in the material world on. Just hated it. So I always thought his albums were terrible other than all things must pass. It turns out that these guys were like anti-religious and just didn't like his oh. preaching. And so... Here, all George Harrison was the guy I got is the the Beatle I got into very last. My brother got uh, All Things Was Passed around that same time, so I knew that and I loved the album. Uh, and he got uh, another album that was released when it was released, which is his self titled album, 1979, George Harrison, which at the time it was really kind of soft, if you know what I mean, uh, middle of the road, and at that point. I didn't, we're going to review that album in five years because <laughs> that's 1979. So in 2029, we'll be reviewing that album. But uh, I had only thought that experience and I was really tainted by this. These guys reviewing every George Harrison album as a piece of shit, basically is what they were saying, other than all things must pass. So I came to George, the, the latest of all the Beatles because of that. And I think that those descriptions at that time, since there weren't many Beatle books, was this how a lot of people viewed his stuff from material world on. So he might have got an early bad rap. I think he got a bad rap and it stuck with him and it stuck on this album when in fact this album got great reviews at the time. Great reviews and sold amazingly well and it just got buried under... Uh, a lot of stuff that happened after and a lot of revision, revisionism on his history. It's an interesting article. Everybody who uh, is interested in the Beatles should read the article about this album. It's a very strange album. Not only when you play, it's not strange like it's got psychedelic music or anything, but um, it, it divides people. Like some people love this album and I wouldn't say hate this album. I don't know if anybody, except for those two guys who wrote that book, but some people may find it to be a little bit sometimes too preachy or anything like that. Um, we're going to get into that in a bit. But there's a lot of, just like with every Beatle album, there's a lot of baggage to everything they do. And there's a lot of baggage on this album. One of them is George was going through a very tough time for like a couple of years from the 1973, the beginning of 1973, until he kind of met his wife, Olivia, in 1974. He was going, he broke up with Patty, uh, his wife, who went with Eric Clapton. Uh, the Clapper. He, the Clapper. And he was also doing, uh, he was a guy that was, as Patty said, and I can't remember, somebody else said, 
something very funny. They said, well, George would spend a whole day praying from his prayer bag. And then he would spend the whole next day doing coke from his coke bag. <laughs> he and he was... Ah, the duality of man. The, he, he, the duality of man. He was, he was l- trying to find how to live in the material world. He was cheating a lot. And he was taking a lot of drugs. And he did... That's how he kind of got his laryngitis. And he didn't... It didn't get any better because he was doing a lot of coke on the road. And it really wasn't until after the Dark Horse tour... And that he really got heavily involved with his wife, who would be married to for the rest of his life, Olivia, that he got his act straightened out. And so a lot of people are also, when they look back on it, kind of pissed off going, oh, you're telling us to live this way, but you're not doing it. (laughs) And I think that's where a lot of the baggage comes. There's baggage with everything the Beatles do. Paul McCartney's, as is pointed out in this Rolling Stone uh, piece, Paul McCartney's Ram album, which we're going to review very soon, actually, maybe next year. Uh, I know that doesn't sound like soon to you, but it's soon to us. Uh, is is an album that really got reviled when it was released. And now that whole concept is... Because people expected something of every Beatle at the time when they released something. The only uh, album that nobody has any trouble with calling a piece of shit is Sometime in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, this this guy, I'm not uh, I'm not going to say his name from Rolling Stone, actually says that uh, George Harrison released the worst, which I totally disagree with, the worst uh, solo Beatle album up to that time, which was Dark Horse, which is totally wrong because he forgot about Sometime in New York City, which Rob poignantly said. <laughs> we'll not listen to it again. <laughs> it, would, it would take a cataclysmic earthquake to make me listen to that album again I, just, I put that in but pretty much that's what he was saying I don't deserve what that album makes me feel <laughs> and I totally agree with him 100% um, so now we're just going to get to the album you got a, you got a conflicted George Harrison you've got a George Harrison who is speaking one day about peace and love and, and getting closer to God and the next day doing completely the opposite and he's kind of fucked up to be honest with you uh, like all humans get, um, but for some reason the uh, Beatles aren't allowed to be human. No, no, they uh, have to uh, live under a microscope. Uh, they do. I've Every heard album a statistic: they are the most photographed musicians. Yes, that is true. Of all time. <laughs> Ooh, I lost my thing, Rob. Oh, your tab. I did. I pressed the wrong button. I lost my tab. I don't need it anyways. No, um, tab. That tab is just a crutch. Uh, just a crush. <laughs> Get it is, but it, walk it, it off. But it has it has the stuff that I was going to talk about on it. So it's not that much of a crutch. Um, but no, you're exactly right. Every album is scrutinized. There have been I don't know how many solo albums by the Beatles. You're 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 probably talking almost eighty if you combine mm. all the solo albums, and everyone gets scrutinized except for Ringo's ones nowadays. People, I don't, or or even Paul's nowadays. Now that they're like eighty. <laughs> They don't yeah. seem to care too much. There's not so much of a stigmatism. But when they were young, man, they couldn't release anything. Now, 1973, we're going to talk about this next week. I'm going to talk about what we've done uh, in the last four weeks when we review the Bingo Star album. I'm going to go over how amazing a Beatle year 1973 was that were 50 years ago. But anyways, that's what I'm going to do next week. 
we're going to review the album now. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I love this album. I, <laughs> I think it's a beautiful album. Uh, it, it's also, um, don't give me that look, Rob. <laughs> I don't like that look. Uh, it's also, um, it's also a, 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 a more of a varied album than he would come to be known for uh, for the rest of his career as it, had uh, had some jauntiness to it. It had some upbeat songs. It had upbeat songs. I love like I love like the uh, Sumi Suyu Blues, yep. which is a very it could be a very dire subject about the Beatles suing each other. Uh, no, but he approaches it more as a kind of a tax man type. Yes, uh, very good. Yes, he did, and I really enjoyed that. He didn't lay a heavy trip on everybody as these. No, say I like his style of protest songs uh, more than other guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, unlike other protest albums. Um. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't overdo it. He makes his point and he doesn't beat you over the head with it. Yes. But he makes his point well. Well, thank you. Are you talking about me or George? George. Okay. <laughs> Not me. Okay. Yes, he does. This is, uh, I find some of this, and this is one of the latest albums that I've heard of, of any Beatle. Living in Material World, because of what I said before, is seriously one of the last Beatle albums that I've ever heard. Unfortunately, these two doofuses totally wrecked my conception of it and made me think that, uh, why would I listen to this piece of crap? And um, I really like it. There's, there's. Um, see, I got to have it with me, Rob. You need it. So you gotta give me. Tab. You gotta give me a minute. Without that tab, I had the tab, and you know, then I, uh, you know what you are? You're you're hobbled. <laughs> kind of hobbled. hobbled. Um, <laughs> I could. Uh, there should have been a second single from this. I think. I think. Don't let me wait too long. Is such a natural. It was scheduled to be a single, and they decided not to release it. Could have really made this album huge because I really like that song. It has a really. Uh, it has. It has top forty written all over it, Rob. Top, top 40, 40 written all over that time. It's, it's going to win a Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, don't let me wait too long. I love that song. It's a great song. Like I said, there's there's um, some really uh, catchy songs that, that aren't... Uh, there's kind of uh, jaunty songs. Um, and then there's some deep, deep songs. Some and of the deep, I, slow, I, ballady type songs. And, and I tell you, I have never heard George Harrison sing better. My God, he, I have never been, if there's one weak part to George's um, uh, musical ovary that I don't, I, I, I always have thought that he, his voice, he sings well, but his voice is not. Uh, it's not uh, as much of a strong out front right. voice as. Uh... But he sings the shit on this album. He sings, wow. He and he tackles some very difficult songs to sing. And I'm telling you, when he doesn't have all this coke running through his veins, he's, and that's not meant as a shot, this is truth, you know, I'm, because on his that next album he did, and, and you, we found out what happens, uh, it makes a world of difference. He, he sings like unbelievable. I remember listening to the third or fourth time uh, to this in the a week and I and I was just going like by the third or fourth time all I could hear about was the singing that's all I could think about was, fuck that's 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 great singing for admittedly a limited voice but 
he makes the most of it and he sings just amazing. He sing, and he does his songs really well. Like uh, he sings his own songs really well. I guess is what I mean. He does uh, the yeah. the part about what am I trying to say is a little bit sad about George's uh, songwriting output is that he does kind of uh, his songs with his voice. He writes songs that suit his voice. That's he writes songs that suit George Harrison, both lyrically and content musically wise, and yeah, content-wise. Yeah. And that's why there's not a huge amount of uh, cover songs, except for his, you know, the Beatles songs and everything, and All Things Must Pass. After that, you don't have a plethora of songs coming from his, uh, from his catalog. And that's, uh, but the songs, my God, there's songs, there's songs here that are just drop-dead beautiful. And like the last song... That is all. I mean, he sings the crap out of that song. And uh, the meditative but very beautiful Be Here Now, which people could take the wrong way if they're not in the right frame of mind, but I found it very beautiful. Um, just because it, it has a very... he, he uh, What am I trying to say, Rob? It has a very, like, he sings it very slowly, like a chant. And people might take that the wrong way, but it's actually just a beautiful, like... Uh, way of singing and, and putting it into a very limited lyrics and and i just i was i'm impressed with almost everything on this album this this proves and george is riding high man he's got all things must pass he is in the three years since the beatles have broken up the biggest beatle with this release <laughs> yeah first without a doubt without a doubt uh john lennon's suffering big time he just released nine a uh, mind games uh just a month, no, uh, five months after this, but he's coming off the horrendous sometime in New York City, and he's coming off the good but not great at all Mind Games album, and he's the only Beatle to not get a number one that year with a song with Mind Games, only got up to number 16 or something. Paul is suffering with the critics. Paul is making kind of patchy albums. Some people would call them really good albums. Some people would call them underwhelming. But he's suffering. Ringo's not really recording until the end of this, until the end of 1973. But Ringo's knocking it out with every single. He's like, it don't come easy. And he would have photograph uh, later on this year and, and his Ringo album. But he dedicated most of the breakup after 1970 to his acting career. So George is just on top of the world. He's even beating jo John and Paul at their own game. Yeah. And he's winning easily. <laughs> he's yeah. winning easily. They got to eat a little humble pie for just a little while. Now, he would unfortunately fall off this mountain that he's on only in the next year. But for three years, man, he ruled the roost. And that's that's not even talking about organizing concert for Bangladesh. I mean, he's you know, just, just in the stratosphere. And you can hear the confidence kind of in this. You can also hear the conflict of man versus religion on this very much. It's a very... It's a very... Uh, heavy album inside it doesn't sound like a heavy album but when you kind of look at the lyrics it's like and you realize yes. in foresight what was going on you go oh well, it's a pretty heavy album might not like have sounded that at the time but this was a heavily conflicted album within george himself and uh yeah i i don't know i just uh the lord loves the one <laughs> the loves the lord i just i just find like the stuff that would have Kind of got me mad before, like a song or two on Dark Horse or whatever. Uh, doesn't bother me because he sings it so well and he makes it kind of like 
like the Lord loves the one, very up-tempo and kind of fun. And uh, the day the world gets around. <laughs> <laughs> I love the lyrics on that one. Which has good lyrics and actually could very much be written today. Uh, yeah, I... I, uh, I give this a strong four stars. I think it's a strong album. I think it's a beautiful album. I think there's the, the first side is really good because it's really varied. So it's just a killer first side. And then the second side is, is, is just as strong, but in its own way, in that it's mostly ballads and that it's mostly, uh, it's it mostly does. slow it songs. It off a bit. Uh, the... It lowers the mood a bit. Not, yes, not yes. makes it sad. It is just it. Uh, it lowers the brings mood. Brings it down. Does. You know, yeah. an interesting thing. I tried playing this album um, uh, loud, and it didn't work for me. I yeah. had to bring it down to about. Uh, That's interesting. <laughs> music. No, that is very interesting because I, I, um, <clears throat> I would totally agree with that. This is a this is an album that I would uh, definitely. A lot of George Harris albums I would though play late at night. You know, like 11, 12, 1 o'clock or something like that. And it just puts you in a certain. You're in a certain yeah, mood, and it, it also puts you in a certain mood. This is not an album you play like eight o'clock before you go out to the club or something. <laughs> this is def- and George Harrison's always been like that. His his music is it's not like Paul McCartney's where you can almost play it at any time, uh, in any place or whatever. His you need uh, yeah you got to kind of be in a mood for George. You do, <laughs> you do, and when you are, it 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 knocks you off your feet, and when you aren't, you're kind of saying eh, whatever. Um, but you know, I, I love the yin and yang of of the popularity of John and Paul. But the um, the differences in all four, you know, the the kind of pop rock of Ringo and the stuff that Paul and John do on their own, which is you know their own brand of music. And then you have the George doing something completely different, which is the mysticism. And to be honest, they're just concentrating on writing beautiful songs. Um, you can't really lose like with who you choose because it's it's uh, it's it's in a way it's all over the place in a way it's all Beatley <laughs> and that has that Beatles sound it's to it. Certainly, uh, there's a comfort when you hear George saying that uh, he, you got used to from listening to him in the Beatles and it, it carries on afterwards. And, and the confidence in this record, I couldn't believe the confidence in this record compared to the uh, the albums. Even on All Things Must Pass, he's trying to uh, impress people. And say yep. this is who I am, but on this album, he's already done that. I have already impressed you. You already think I'm the the best solo Beatle right now. So he's singing with so much confidence, and that would dissipate, of course, when his album stops selling with Dark Horse. Then you can hear he's 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 like you said, oh, with John Lennon burying his voice, yeah, on Mind Games. Uh, that's kind of what George eventually would do when he wasn't confident. Same thing. I don't know if it's a Liverpool thing. But when George is not confident, he buries his vocal. And he doesn't do that here at all. He, his vocals are up front and strong and saying, like, uh, I may be fucked up, but I'm on top of the world, too. <laughs> See, that's the one difference is um, I thought his singing was fine, but I didn't like the way uh, the vocals were recorded on this album. I don't know if it was the mix or the effects he was putting on, but uh, I kept, uh, he kept losing me. I would listen to a song, and then, uh, you know, halfway through the line, I'd uh, start thinking of something else. And then when I got the lyrics and read them, I loved it. But musically, it did not uh, stick the lyrics with me. Uh And that, uh, I found You know, that's a a common thing with George, is that his, his voice 
I think throughout his career blends with the music so well. I need, I'm not calling it his voice. Definitely not, because uh, at the end of the album, uh, I got the uh, the extended one and it had those bonus tracks. Well, that's what I was going to bring up too, because let's let's bring let's as soon as I had that first bonus say, track, there was no uh, vocal effects. It was up high in the mix. I was going to bring that up. That's so funny. And it was like, okay, yeah, that's what I'm used to hearing. Okay, this is interesting because I was going to bring this up, and I didn't know if Rob likes it because we're not supposed to bring up bonus tracks, but we both wanted to. Well, the only reason I bring it up is for contrast. That one bonus. Well, that's track what I wanted to do too. Was absolutely recorded differently, the vocals than uh, the than the entire album. Okay, I want to talk about that for a second because uh, the album. That's the one thing that um, I think he produced this very well. I think for a guy who doesn't produce albums, what happened was Phil Spector was supposed to produce this album, and uh, he was too drunk. Got drunk every day, and it just didn't show up. And George Ooh, finally, George, Phil, finally, okay, Phil. <laughs> George, George finally went to his hotel and said, "Listen, are you showing up or not? I, I need you there." And he goes, "Oh, I need, I need at least." He said, "I need at least six brandies or whatever to get started." And George said, "Forget it. I don't, I don't need you. Go home. I don't need you." So he produced it himself. Now he does, and this is why it sounds like this. Just like John Lennon tried to do, uh, I consider unsuccessfully, and, and you did too on Mind Games, uh, I didn't like the production on that album, is that John tried to reproduce Phil Spector. Phil Spector's sound. sound I thought it was Phil Spector. George Harrison did a little bit. George Harrison really wanted to get away from, and I agree with him, because yeah. I'm one of the few people on, on the earth who seems to really dislike the All Things Must Pass production. I think it took away from a lot. It added to a few songs. It did. It, it made them better, but I think it detracted from 70% of the songs on that album. So he has also been, had been vocal up until he died because he was, he had released All Things Must Pass just before he died in a, a much less cluttered form of Phil Spector's production. So he wants a little bit of fill on this record, which he does, and but he wants it clearer he doesn't want that wall of, of of sound that phil Spector gets so it's clearer but you can tell the difference uh hugely on this album when you listen to the bonus tracks which are all single b-sides except for bangladesh which is uh an a-side i had a theory about bangladesh too if people want to hear it maybe i save it for next week because it doesn't have to do with the album i'll save it for next week because we're going to do ringo and i, I want to say what my thing about bangladesh but he does uh, two songs. He does Deep Blue, which was also done. No, Miss Odell was done at the Living in the Material World section, uh, sessions. And uh, Deep Blue was done um, around the time of the Bangladesh single as a B-side. Both are unadorned. It had They have really nothing to added on to them at all. And George sounds great. I'm not saying he's that. Yes. I, 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 what I'm saying is what, what you're saying is that there's a lot of effects on George's voice on this album. I think George's singing kind of makes me not um, bother with it that much, but I did notice this this wall of sound again, this kind of heavy production on it, which actually made it, it, it was a different than a Mind Games album thing. Yeah. And that Mind Games really, that production really distracted you from the songs. This added to a beautiful album. But the singing, when it was clear, and he said, oh, I'd love to hear George Harrison like that all the time. So here's the odd thing is uh, I could understand with John Lennon, uh, sometimes it would get so 
buried or drowned in the mix. You know, I'd have to read the lyrics to find out what he's right. saying. I, I could pretty much understand everything George Harrison was saying. It was all clear. I don't know why. It just uh, it didn't stick with me. Mm-hmm. It's like... Uh, and I really like the writing, like the, the melodies he was putting into the chords. But it, 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 it was like really good music without, without hooks. Because I kept drifting off. I had to give it an That's extra... another thing. I had to give it an extra listen. Because I was like trying to you know, make notes on each song. The songwriting is different. concentrate like it did. I'd lose... And then three songs passed. And it's, oh yeah, I'm listening to the album. Yeah, I know what you, <laughs> I know what you mean. The songwriting is different. Uh, All Things Must Pass had hooks and everywhere. And it was almost like... Um, it was meant to be catchy almost from the time it started to the time it ended. Now, this album is written differently. Uh, Give Me Love has that, uh, where it has the, the hook at the beginning, yeah. and it's written like a, a pop song. Most of these songs are just songs where you'll yeah. just start, and and uh, it's actually more of the way music turned out to be, which is less hooks. Uh, this is how music was with all the hooks at the beginning, you know, and then you sang something catchy, and then you sang the chorus, blah, blah, blah. And he wrote one song like that, really. He wrote Give Me Love like that. And the rest, uh, he kind of wrote like people write nowadays, which is just you just go into it. You don't have a beginning where you have a, a catchy guitar part. You just go into it. And you write, Rob. Um, it's good music. It's good singing. It's certainly good playing. It's a complicated album. You see what we're talking about? We've <laughs> talked about about eight different things How? about this album because it's very, it's not something you can just say, I like it, I can dance to it or whatever. Yeah. It's a it's a complicated record. And it's a record that takes a couple of listens. And even then you're talking, we're talking about production. And we're talking about how his voice is is processed. The blend. Of, right. Yeah. I would love to hear a whole album. Unfortunately, we can't anymore. What I mean is, I wish George would have done a whole album like he did those B-sides of just... Very bare bones, a dry and just, kind of yes. recording with very little attitude. I just love those B sides, and they're not specifically great songs because they're B sides. The two songs, you know, Miss Odell and uh, Deep Blue, they are good songs, but they're they're kind of throwaways. But you're attracted to them because oh, he has he's a very um, he has a magnetism about yeah. him, and I feel that some of that magnetism is drawn away on his actual albums because. He does. He does the thing that John does. Like I said, it might be a Liverpool thing about kind of taking away from yourself, putting you're not putting yourself too much out there, and kind of burying yourself a little bit. I think it's just a, a, a thing that they got from years of playing together. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It might be a thing you get from being the third guy around uh, in a in when you have two of the greatest songwriters in the history of music. And you're the third guy, and it may be, I don't know, I think maybe, I, let's yeah, bury that know, a little bit. <laughs> my theory at home was that uh, the, the, in writing the songs, he kind of got used to the, uh, he knew what all the words were and what it was all about. And uh, I think he, he may have got a bit extra concentrated on uh, the sound as a musical thing rather than uh, the, the words as a, uh, a message. Yes. I think... He, he might have gotten a bit uh, too far in that direction for my ear. I I, I, I agree. Um, the singing is still amazing, but it's I wish the process on it. But there's a couple of parts that have flange on the yeah, guitar, which are really nice. Yeah, there's some parts where it works really well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that's 
but so much parts. talent again how the fuck does the third guy in the band have like so much <laughs> talent? and you know what george i'll be honest with you has since i've been captured his music and to be honest with you about maybe 10 years before he died he became really kind of my favorite beetle because he was the nicest guy to get to know in all in all honesty i've heard ringo can be touchy if you're not in his circle um, I'm not going to start any rumors or anything like that, but I've read it's that. A thing you've, okay. yeah, it's just a thing that I've heard. And, and and George had his faults too, but George was the funniest. He really was. He was the funniest, but he had a dry humor. And, and he was the nicest guy to, to get along with. And um, I, I think his music is, is, I don't know, there's something about his music which draws me in. Of course, I have to be in the right mood. But there's, I've, I've become such a huge George Harrison fan. I think he was probably the first to really get away from being a Beatle and just be himself and be happy and raving about it. That is so true. It took it took uh, John almost his entire life, right until the end, until he finally found the peace that he wanted. And uh, Paul always wanted the Beatles back together in yeah. one way. But he, of course, did very well himself. Uh, but Paul is a different breed. He's, a, he, he's just different. But George... Was always searching for there's got to be something yeah. more than than hit singles. And Ringo, no, he didn't want to be a, a front man, uh, no. lead singer. Ringo said, Ringo said, and it was a very touching quote. He said, "I never wanted to leave the Beatles, and I'd still be in the Beatles if they wanted to be together." <laughs> and I can understand that. And and Ringo has a very uh, just like his All Star tours. His All Star tours has him singing one third of the songs, and then the other guys, uh, the other stars. In the in the band sing the other and it's very Ringo. It's like I don't want to yeah. be singing all the songs. I don't want to be that. That's why George's uh, nineteen seventy four tour didn't go well is because he did that too. And he says I don't. I'm not a front man. I like I, being in a band, but I, I like yeah. being in a band. <laughs> I like playing guitar while you know Billy Preston is singing. I got the or, talent yeah. to do it, but yeah. it just uh, I don't want yeah. to. <laughs> I don't want to. I am a, a player in a band and who occasionally gets to sing a song and people were pissed off. They say, oh, you had Ravi Shankar on for 35 minutes and then you had Billy Preston play like four songs. And it's like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. And they, and they said, well, we don't like it. And this was tough. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I want to do. I got a hundred million dollars in the bank. I don't it. need to do this. I'm doing it because this is what I want to do. Why would I go out there if I don't have to? And and do something I don't want to do, which is sing yeah. all the songs and play these amazing solos. I don't feel like doing that. This no. is what I want to do. And you've done that for a long time. Be happy with what you do. Be happy. You know what? You know what makes me, uh, George? I think my favorite Beatle is because of that. Is because I do what I want to do. I don't care about chart placement. <laughs> I'll do a tour the way I want to. If you don't like Indian music, that's up to you. I love it. So I'm gonna make an album like that. Or I'm gonna do this. George had a had an attitude which I totally identify with. I know you do yes. too. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not you know um, uh, the one knock those guys had about uh, uh, too much um, uh, too far into the religious part on this. I technically agree with them, but that's what George was going through at the time and that's what he felt and that's what he had to be honest and right about and that comes across in the music and it doesn't bother me even though you have you know, to I agree I agree totally with that normally if I hear somebody singing I think you're or trying preaching, to sell me something yes I don't get that feeling exactly um, 
I get that this is coming from the heart and you have to look at it when you listen to his albums or anybody's albums, you have to look at it from their point of view, which is when you put on that album, you don't go, oh, I don't think like that, so I don't like that song. Well, no, you have to listen to the song and hear it from the singer's point of view and George is completely 100% honest. He's not like some religious singers who first of all just sing the same songs because they don't want to do, you know what I mean? They don't want to do um, uh, anything but sacred music. Yeah. So they just do this, they just put out albums just to sing to the Lord, this but they're not a, putting their heart and soul into it. This is an actual living mind going through things and relating what he's going through musically. And you can identify it with, because it's, he's not in, in a way you stuff. can substitute. He's creating stuff. He says, and he says this so well. He says, yeah, a lot of people don't know whether I'm singing about a woman or I'm singing about God. And he says, well, woman is kind of is God. Man is God. You can put that in there if you want. Uh, I'm just singing. Like you could you could say the Lord loves the one that loves the Lord. You could say a woman loves a woman, <laughs> loves the woman, one who loves me. You could, you could, you know, or the man loves a, a person who loves me. Uh, Generally, the love is there. The great thing is the is the is the, you know what that, that's a good point. The thing is is that he's doing the thing that the Beatles and especially George has always done, which is talk about love. Give me love, give me peace on earth. What the hell is wrong with that? Yeah, you know King what what is wrong with that? Why why that's basically his message. Yes, you know with Dark Horse uh, and 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 sometimes on other albums he would do the Krishna thing, and that that kind of bugged me because I don't know anything about it. And I, I can't relate to it too much, but it wasn't a whole album. You just had to listen to a song or two on an album, you know, about that. And then you could move on and it's like, it doesn't hurt you. <laughs> no, it was the, uh, the one, uh, it was the seventh or eighth or ninth song uh, we were talking about. Uh, uh, he's talking about the, the future when we finally come around. Uh, the day the world gets around. That's the one. See, I didn't write down the other uh, titles. You're supposed to say, wait a minute, is that George? Is that George? Is that you? He's here. He's with us. <laughs> that one, I mean, a big part of me uh, kind of uh, disagrees. Says, you know, that's uh, you're just a dreamer. That's just the, the same thing as John Lennon's imagined. But the plain fact is that is what uh, all thinking, reasoning, rational human beings are working towards. That that's, is the end goal. That's that is what the Rolling Stone wrote about yesterday. <laughs> and swear to God, it was yesterday when they put it up. And that's exactly what they wrote about, is that the day the world gets round could be written today can, because it's the same thing we've been talking about for 6,000 years. You can be a cynic and say, no, we're always going to be fighting each other. We'll always uh, be warring with each other. But it doesn't... You can hold that belief, but this is what we're working towards. And... Whether we uh, get there in uh, 10 years or 10,000 years. Well, yeah. It's still... Good point, Rob. You know why? Because doors. he sings, give me love, give me peace on earth. He doesn't sing, we should have love and peace on earth like <laughs> Hitler. He sings, you know what? I would just want that. I just want love and peace on earth. Give it to me. Yeah. I'm not telling you... It's I'm just saying give. It's That's all I want. Pretty easy for a listener to relate to. It is. It's not it's not preachy. It's not People think it's preachy and and, he, and and he goes and singing the light that has lighted the world. What's preachy about that? He's just singing the light that has lighted the world is God. Okay. 
what is preaching about that? <laughs> Except you go, well, I don't think so. Okay, yeah. but it's, you know. <laughs> it's like nowadays, if you mention another culture, you're a racist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was only, no, 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 if you even mention it. If you mention religion, oh, you're trying to sell me something. No, I don't get that feeling. No, there's George. no selling on it. There I is no selling. Anybody who says that they're selling on this album um, this is totally his. is desecrating the the what George Harrison stood for his whole life, at least his life after the Beatles, his whole life after, since they left the Beatles, and it's actually uh, it, it's a desecration. Anybody who says that should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a struggle between well, living in the material world. It is. That's what the album is about. And uh, living here. And he does it really well because he's being honest about what he's going through. He, he tells you it's a struggle living in the material world, especially when you're religious or spiritual and yet you're being pulled by these material things. How do you not relate to that? Because we all do it. We all in some way want to be spiritual. Some of us can't get there. But we all want, and yet we're we're pulled by even like vices and sin all the time. Mm, the material world, sweet sweet vices. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a deep album. It's 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 an album you don't get anymore. You no. know what I mean? You don't get albums no, that I, are that are that are this beautiful and deep, but not deep where you where you. It's deep after you've listened to it. I, I, I sometimes hear music with deep parts or albums with deep parts, but nothing all the way through. Nothing all the way through yeah. from song one Start to, to song eleven. Yeah, I do have a side note to mention. Uh, the first song and a few other songs, but mostly uh, the first song, "Give Me Love." I was listening to the different instruments, and I, uh, I heard the piano part there, and I did not say. That sounds like Nicky Hopkins. I said, that's Nicky Hopkins. Did you? <laughs> I picked that right away. We talked about this earlier in the show, Rob, <laughs> about how uh, I mentioned how earlier in the show. <laughs> Sorry, I got made myself laugh. But earlier in the show, when I said that Nicky Hopkins played the beautiful piano part, and mm -hmm. it does almost make that song, even though the song is brilliant to begin with, I'm not taking anything away from it, but when his piano part comes in, I knew it was him. Holy, I, and you knew it was him right I away? I knew it was him right away. That's why we praise Nicky Hopkins <laughs> like every 20th show. <laughs> we say something about Nicky Hopkins. He's a jewel. And uh, again, I want to thank the Nicky Hopkins family. They're so nice to me. Uh, I, I mentioned it earlier in the show. Yeah, but a bunch of guys playing this album. Some of them were on uh, John Lennon's album. Uh, I, I, we should mention them. Uh, Klaus Vormann, who uh, plays nice. a lot with the ex-Beatles. They met him in, in Germany. He also did the Revolver album cover. Oh, yeah. Yes, he drew that. Uh, he has been friends with all of the Beatles since uh, since they were nobody and went over to Hamburg. He plays this album, great bass player. Of course, the Jim Keltner, again, plays on Ringo's albums, uh, plays on John's albums, uh, plays on about 10,000 albums. He's one of the greatest drummers in the world, Jim Keltner. On piano, of course, the greatest session musician ever, Nicky Hopkins, one of the greatest piano players ever. I wish he was still around because I could use him. <laughs> <laughs> we can um, all use him. I think that's it. And I, we forgot to Gary mention Wright. Gary Wright, who plays organ. Yep. And and electric keyboards. Electric piano. Uh, everybody knows Gary Wright now. And he's of course from Dreamweaver and, and uh, from last week's life. album. <laughs> yes, exactly. And failed to mention the the uh, George has never been more upfront with his either his singing on an album or his guitar playing. George decided to play all the guitars on this record. I think maybe the only time he's ever done that 
before or since. Uh, he decided to strip away the All Things Must Pass, having 6,000 musicians there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he that, decided that... helps that, the wall of sound. And it, Yeah, that <laughs> created the wall of sound. And he has different people playing different songs. He decided, and rightly so, you can tell that by the continuity of the songs. Yeah. We're talking about the sound like forever. <laughs> is we're almost the, done. Almost is, done. We're almost done. It's the last point is, is that he wanted the continuity to it, which he achieved fully. And he wanted a band that played from song one to song 11. So you weren't guessing, first obviously for the content, but you weren't guessing like, oh, who's playing keyboard? He was very miffed because he just put on All Things Must Pass, like th these are the players. And you don't know who played who's organ on this or who played bass on this song, song which was, he had to iron out for his 2001 release before he died. He had to pinpoint because people kept on asking him literally for 40 years <laughs> <laughs> or 30 years after it was released. Um, but he wanted just a band and uh, what a band like he got like one of the best bands you can yeah, get and if you're a Beatle that's because John got the same musicians Beatle. Ringo got the best musicians for his Ringo album and um, yeah just an exceptional band exceptional album seriously we could talk about this album for another hour and I would not get bored <laughs> <laughs> love George uh, I've said all I have to say I've said all oh what's your rating I give it a three and a half uh, like That's I say, I'm surprised it's a little harsh for what we said. It was the fact that I kept uh, it didn't hold my attention the way it should have. So you I gave kept, it three as a very good because three and a half is very good. So yeah, it, it had so many good qualities, but uh, like I, the, the two problems I had were uh, I kept drifting off and the vocals, the way they were recorded or mixed in. Uh, that was a big part of what did not grab me. Okay. No, I, I I I hear what you're saying. I mean, either either that part you get or you it doesn't. It's like we, yeah, with the like slits or with anything. Yeah. The lyrics loved it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I said this, it feels like an hour ago, <laughs> but uh, it feels so long ago. But I give it four stars, like I said, and uh, I really. Uh, Personally, could not even think of giving it less than four stars. I, I, it's just, it's just a, a beautiful album to me. Uh, and I wish people made albums like this, and they don't. People ask, you know, why, why the 70s? All the time I get, like, why do you do the 70s? And I say, because it was the only decade where you got every type of album, and especially albums that they don't make anymore. And this is an example of an album they just don't make anymore. Yeah, most of the competing people were creative people yes now people compete more they just compete even in the 80s even even mm -hmm. one decade later uh even mm -hmm. george himself couldn't make an album this religious anymore or this spiritual spiritual yeah, come to word. think of it they, yeah. they, they, they've taken he away did cloud nine and stuff but he had he was pretty much resigned to the fact that he couldn't make an album like this and have it sell that's why we do the 70s because the 70s you could do anything and it could go to number one I yep. can't imagine. I'm still stunned when I, I did not know this. It's and so I know everything Beatles. When I read that this, when I was initially doing the background for this album, when I read that it went to number one song and album, I was like, fuck, that's a good time of, to be in music. That's a good time to be a listener in music, isn't it? When you, you had Red Rose Speedway go to number one in 1973 on the album charts. You had George Harrison go to number one uh, with... Uh, an extremely spiritual album with living in the material world and and then uh ringo at the end of the year and it's it's like um 
what a time for albums because you could actually release an album that was very different and it could go to number one if it yeah. was good. And nowadays where, you know, uh, you can mostly get the track single by single, albums are just not as meaningful anymore. No. Uh, albums, I don't know. They're just, and they just don't make... You know, the, okay, we can't go into that. I was going to say real quickly, it all started in like 1987 when they decided to expand the length of an album to like 70 minutes just because you could on a CD oh, and it destroyed the concept of the album. We're not going to, we have talked about that on other episodes. We'll probably talk about that yeah, in length yeah. in the future. It makes us mad, so we'll get back to it. Too. Yeah, because it did, it did take away the, because I think you can really only hear an album that's recorded at the time for about 40 minutes. And to make it sixty or seventy minutes, uh, unless you're making a white album or something, yeah, is totally you're doing Tommy or something. Yes. So, anyways, we really have to end this conversation. We're, uh, we're probably going to talk uh, next week, just as long. It's like the Beatles have so much baggage. Everything they do <laughs> is a long kind of monologue about oh, and, and it is really true. It's not. It's not uh, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we do a Beatles album, we've done, we're getting to be about 12 now by next week that we've done on this show. We've done three segments. I, I won't give an accurate number there. No, we've done, we've done. This is our third theme on the Beatles, which would be four albums each. So next week we'll have done 12 Beatles albums. And each one of them, you know, our, one of our shortest shows is actually All Things Must Pass. But I think it was because one of our first shows. 12 and then we got to add in um, uh, you did you realize that one of my favorite shows that we've ever done out of our 175 or whatever was like our 10th episode when we did the Beatles uh, theme and one of our shortest shows which and it amazes me because we got so yeah. much we talked about all things must pass and we had contradictions about it it was one of our it amazes me that it was one of our shortest shows how the heck did we clip out a whole bunch of the beginning what the hell <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, maybe I didn't write anything for that show. We just did the album, but I still can't believe it. I still consider that one of our best shows we've ever done, and it was one of our shortest, which proves my belief that maybe the length of our shows is, doesn't constitute like best. I do believe that. The length of our shows is not constitute something, even though this show no, but has gone on incredibly long, and I even cut out a part. <laughs> it's a bit of a... It, the length of the show is a bit of a barometer, because that indicates how carried away we got. Yes. Oh, we got carried away today. Holy smokes, we've been talking about this album, Rob, for 45 minutes. Okay, we got to go. Okay, uh, so that's our show for today. Now, next week, we will be reviewing a Ringo Starr album, but not the Ringo album from 1973. Because we did that on we an earlier that. episode. So we got to travel back in time. Uh, if you want, you should actually, if you want to keep up with this theme, go back to that episode. It's it's like the 13th episode or something like that when we reviewed, uh, it was right after All Things Was Passed, uh, when we really started to evolve this show. Our Beatle episodes is really when we started, the the got the show rolling, to be honest with you. And listen to that, and then you can... Put that in context of the three previous shows that we have done already, and that'll give you 1973 Beatles. I also will be recapping next week about this. Now that I've, I've we've gone over it, an amazing Beatle year of night. If you were a Beatle fan in the early 70s, holy shit, you got like a yeah. plethora of records <laughs> all every year. Those, those British invasion bands, they, they, the late 60s, early 70s. All those Hermits, Hermits, and Jerry and the Pacemakers. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. That Dave Clark five. <laughs> we, have, we do have a very interesting Ringo album. Nonetheless, next week, to tune in. It will not be from 1973, but every Beatle album in the 70s is worth talking about. 
for good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Sometime in New York this. City. Uh, so, <laughs> so in, I hate that fucking... I don't think that I hate as much of an album as I do that one. It's right in my top five most hated albums of all time. And too bad, because it's kind of musically not bad. It's not musically not bad. But, but. if you want to listen to that, we, we did a show on that. And whoo, we lit into that one. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so when, uh, we got to end it, people. We, we gotta, love you. <laughs> we love you for bearing with us and for ranting and raving. Holy. Okay, we got to go. Yeah. <laughs> Until then, people, take care and stay safe. Just write her off.